Father, we are so thankful for your grace and your mercy and your love that you demonstrate that love in having sent your son Jesus that Christ died for us while we were yet sinners. And Father, we thank you uh, for your mercy that you reached out to us in our pitiable, sinful condition and you revealed your Son. And Father, I pray as we look into your word today that those of us here who have been saved, we will praise you all the more as we hear your wonderful word. And I pray for those who don't know you that today would be the day of salvation, that you would break through the hearts of stone, you would convict, and there would be a genuine response and a call to your Son for salvation. I pray for that. We thank you for this opportunity to be in your word today, and we commit it to you now in your son's precious name. Amen. Well, as I mentioned as I was praying, we have a gracious God, a God who is gracious, a God who is loving, a God who is merciful. And within those characteristics, we see those things demonstrated in the fact that he reveals the truth in the gospel concerning our sinfulness and our need for a Savior. And God is gracious also to to come alongside those who might name his name and claim to be with him and to reveal where their hearts are truly at, that they might truly be saved if they're not. Indeed, this is the situation with the nation of Israel. The Lord Jesus came to his own. They claimed to know the Lord. And the Lord Jesus exposed where their hearts were that they might believe. But as we see, uh, they rejected him. And today, we're going to see the beginning of that rejection as we look at the parable of the sower. Would you turn in your Bibles to chapter 13 of Matthew? We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 17. And Lord willing, uh, I'd like to do the whole thing. We can't do the whole thing. So we're going to read through the parable we're going to go ahead and look at Jesus' uh, conversation with his disciples. And, and then we're going to look at the parable explained next week, Lord willing. So Matthew chapter 13, verses 1 to 17. And let me fill you in the context of the book of Matthew. Uh, the book of Matthew is about King Jesus. It is about Jesus Christ the King. It is about the Son of God who took on human flesh to save his people from their sins. Jesus Christ, the King of kings and Lord of lords, came to the Jewish people, his own. Those who would name his name, yet they were in sin. They were sitting in darkness. And having had the way prepared for him by John the Baptist, repent, for the kingdom is at hand. He also called upon the people to repent, for the kingdom was at hand. Jesus taught and preached the kingdom, and he is the king of the kingdom. We see that in chapters 5 through 7, exposing phony righteousness and and revealing where people's hearts are that they might truly understand who is really blessed, those who have a right relationship with the Lord, having entered through the narrow gate of faith in Christ. And he affirmed his teaching with the miraculous in chapters 8 and 9 of the book of Matthew. And then we see in chapter 10, as he sent out his disciples and instructed them, uh, he sends them out to the multitude of lost souls. And then in chapters 11 and 12, we see the beginning of the outright rejection of the king by the Jews. We see the opposition from the leaders and the people becoming manifest. 
Indeed, in chapter 11, Jesus compared the present generation to which he had ministered to and they had rejected to, 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 they had rejected not only Jesus, but the forerunner, John the Baptist. He compared them to spoiled children who, who get upset when you don't play the game the way they want to play it. He then used and shared a brutal condemnation upon the unrepentant cities, uh, those who experienced his miracles and had heard his teaching but yet had not repented, that their judgment would be stricter than that of Sodom and Gomorrah because they had rejected Christ. They had not repented. Christ was in their midst. And then on the heels of this condemnation, we see in chapter 12, the Pharisees tried to set up Christ as a Sabbath breaker. They began plotting and planning to destroy him in chapter 12. Yet Jesus made it clear uh, within that that they had committed the unpardonable sin. They had spoken against the clear conviction of the Holy Spirit concerning Christ, which we'll see in a minute, the sin which is unforgivable. And these same Pharisees after this wanted and demanded for another sign from the Lord Jesus Christ. And he responded, declaring they are broods of vi- a brood of vipers. And then he expanded that condemnation to the generations that this is an evil and adulterous generation. And then we see that Jesus in that context is greater than Jonah and Solomon. And this, yet the culpability of this generation is much more than those who had rejected during those times. And then we see in the end of chapter 12 that the terrifying illustration of the demonic and the evil generation where the last state is worse than the first because they clean themselves up religiously apart from a real relationship with Christ that only leads them in a much worse eternal state. And then in the end of chapter 12, we have Jesus' human family trying to deliver him from himself at that point. And then Jesus pointed out who his true family are, those who do the will of my Father who is in heaven, or as we saw in Luke, as, as Nick read, those who obey the word of God. Those who obey the word of God. Indeed, there are two spiritual families, and your response to the word of God reveals which family you are truly in, and thus your eternal destiny. So with this in mind, we come to our passage today where Jesus shares the parable of the sower. And I believe we're going to have an encouragement for the receptive and a warning for the rejectors. Again, Matthew chapter 13, verses 1 to 17. And I want to read through our passage and then read through the the actual explanation which we'll look at lord willing next week okay matthew chapter 13 verse 1 on that day jesus went out of the house and was sitting by the sea and a great and great multitudes gathered to him so that he got into a boat and sat down and the whole multitude was standing on the beach and he spoke many things to them in parables saying behold the sower went out to sow and as he sowed some seeds fell besides the road and the birds came and ate them up verse 5 And others fell upon the rocky places where they did not have much soil. And immediately they sprang up because they had no depth of soil. But when the sun had risen, they were scorched. And because they had no root, they withered away. And others fell among thorns, and the thorns came up and choked them out. And others fell on the good soil and yielded a crop of some some a hundredfold, some sixty and some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. And the disciples came and said to him, Why do you speak in parables? And he said, and he answered and said to them, To you it has been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, 
but to them it has not been granted. For whoever has, to him more shall be given, and he shall have an abundance. But whoever does not have, even what he has shall be taken away from him. Therefore I speak to them in parables, because while seeing they do not see, and while hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. And in this case, the prophecy of Isaiah is being fulfilled, which says, You will keep on hearing, but will not understand. You will keep on seeing, but will not perceive. For the heart of this people has become dull, and with their ears they scarcely hear, and they have closed their eyes, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart and return, and I should heal them. But blessed are your eyes because they see, and your ears because they hear. For truly I say to you that many prophets and righteous men desired to see what you see and did not see it, and hear what you hear and did not hear it. And that's where we'll end today, but I want to read through what we'll look at, Lord willing, next week also. Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what, what has been sown in his heart. This is the one whom seed was sown beside the road. And the one whom seed was sown, beside, sown on rocky places, this is the man who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no firm root in himself, but is only temp- it is only temporary. And when affliction or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he falls away. And the one whom seed was sown among thorns, this is the man who hears the word, and the worry of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. In uh, verse 23, my notes here. Sorry, my word, the word is cut out here. And the one, excuse me, and the one whom the seed was sown among thorns, this is the man who hears the word and the worry of the world, 22, worry of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke out the word and it becomes unfruitful. And the one whom seed is sown on good soil, this is the man who hears the word and understands it, who indeed bears forth and brings, bears fruit and brings forth some hundredfold, some sixty and some thirty. So then today we're going to take a look at the parable of the sower. And we're going to see why the Lord speaks in parables and why the Lord allows some to not hear even though they hear. Why the Lord allows some to not see even though they see. And the blessing upon those who are able to hear and those who are able to see. Okay, first of all, notice the occasion for the parable. Back to verse 1 in chapter 17. On that day, Jesus went out of the house and was sitting by the sea, and great multitudes gathered to him, so that he got in a boat and sat down, and the whole multitude was standing on the beach. And he spoke many things to them in parables. Notice our text begins with the occasion. We have on that day. Matthew, inspired by the Spirit, is giving us a clue to what is going on here. He says, on that day. And then he goes on to speak of him sharing to them many things, verse 3, in parables. Now we need to understand what a parable is. The Greek term parable, parabole, para means alongside, bole means to throw. And from that, basically, it's, it's a parable as an illustration or an example that is thrown alongside an argument to help explain something and to, to help illuminate and we need to understand that parables really are not understandable, though the meaning that is intended, unless it is explained. Unless it is explained. 
And I also want to warn you to be careful when we look at parables, not to go too deep into them beyond what was intended. Some people try to break down every element of the parable and try to give meaning to it rather than the intent that the Spirit of God intended in that parable to bring forth the understanding that he desires for us. So with this in mind, the occasion for the parable here is on that day. On that day. Now, if you'll remember, uh, before this point, you will not find a parable in the book of Matthew. The Lord Jesus had been clearly teaching and preaching, affirming with the miraculous. Uh, look back in Matthew chapter 4. Look back. We have that, those bracketed statements in chapter 4 and chapter 9, which help explain things. Remember, these are the brackets that, that go around the Sermon on the Mount, chapters 5 and then to 7, and then the miraculous 8 and 9. Matthew chapter 4, verse 23. And Jesus was going about in all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. Teaching and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. And then he says, and healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness among the people. And then skip up to chapter 9, verse 35. Again, these are these bookends that I shared before as we studied the book of Matthew. Matthew chapter 9, verse 35. And Jesus was going about all the cities and the villages, teaching in their synagogues, same thing, and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, same thing, and healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. We see very clearly the message was centered around repentance because the king was at hand. Repent and believe the gospel, Jesus would share in Mark chapter 1. The center, it was centered around the truth concerning Christ as he declared it himself. And here, at this point, things change. The Lord Jesus is no longer going to be declaring things very clearly and openly. He's going to veil his truth, and there's a specific reason for it. And there is a principle for us to learn from this. Look at verse 1. On that day, back in um, Matthew 13, and then verse 3, and he spoke many things to them in parables. In parables. So what day is this? What, what, why would Matthew, inspired by the Spirit, want us to know that it is on that day that he began to do this? Well, indeed, on the same day we see in chapter 12 that the Lord had, had a demon-possessed, blind, dumb man brought to him, and he cast it out by the power of the Spirit, and the man spoke and could see. It was an irrefutable miracle, yet the Pharisees attributed to that, this miracle that was done by the Spirit of God through Jesus Christ, they attributed it to Satan. It was the unforgivable sin, having spoken against the irrefutable conviction of the Spirit of God. And these same evil and wicked Pharisees, these brood of vipers, in the midst of, the, in the midst of these uh, multitudes, after that, wanted Jesus to perform another sign thus revealing their wicked unbelief. And then we see Jesus pile or compile his condemnation, not only in the Pharisees, but the present generation of these Jews. Look back at chapter 12, verse 39. Notice what he says. And this is the same day, by the way. It's the same day. But he said to them, he answered and said to them, an evil and adulterous generation craves for a sign. Yet no sign shall be given to them but the sign of Jonah the prophet. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the sea monster, so the Son of Man shall be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. 
The men of Nineveh shall stand up with this generation at the judgment and shall condemn it because they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, something greater than Jonah is here. The queen of the south shall rise up with this generation at the judgment and shall condemn it because she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, something greater than Solomon is here. And then he gives a horrifying illustration in the demonic sphere, which reveals where the hearts of this generation was at, by the way. Look at verse 42. Now, when an unclean spirit goes out of a man, that's speaking of a demon, by the way, it passes through waterless places seeking rest and does not find it. Then it says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when it comes, it finds it unoccupied, swept, and put in order. This is amazing. The Lord Jesus is giving us insight into the demonic sphere, by the way, and he's illustrating where the hearts are at. Then it goes out and soaked in order. Then it goes out and takes along seven other spirits more wicked than itself, and they go in and live there. And the last state of that man becomes worse than the first. Notice what he says. This is the way it will be also with this evil generation. You have swept up your lives religiously, but you haven't trusted in Christ. You're still in your sins, and it's going to be that much worse. It's going to be that much worse eternally. Jesus moved from his condemnation of the Pharisees to the condemnation of the evil current generation that had rejected his teaching over this three years that he had been sharing with them. They had rejected him. And this is a sad day for the Jews. God was in their midst. He was revealing himself clearly to them, affirmed by the truth and the miraculous. And they were to respond with repentance and faith, but they did not. So on that day, Jesus began to speak in parables on that day. On a side note, there is a point, folks, and we don't know that point. Only God knows where he's going to allow your heart and mind to be further hardened. He will convict you of sin. He will bring the gospel to you, address your sin. We heard the statements earlier. If you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. He will allow you to go your own way. He will allow you to go your own way to judgment. And we don't know when that is, but there's a clear warning here, and we'll see in other passages. So then back to Matthew 13, verse 1. On that day Jesus went out from the house and was sitting by the sea, and a great multitude gathered to him so that he got into the boat and sat down. And the whole multitude was standing on the beach, and he spoke many things to them in parables. So he begins to speak in parables. And notice, he says here, saying, Behold, the sower went out to sow. He's talking about a farmer, one who would take seed and throw it or sow it. A common reality for those who lived in the region. So what do we see here? Behold, the sower went out to sow, and he sowed some seeds, sowed, and some seeds fell by, beside the roadside, and the birds came and ate them up. So the first uh, portion here, it's pretty simple to understand, at least the illustration, maybe not the meaning, but the illustration. He says there that the seeds fell by the road, and obviously roads were compact, dirty soil, and the seed obviously didn't go very far, and the birds came and ate them, right? That's simple illustration. Then notice he says in verse 5, And others fell upon rocky places where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up because they had no depth of soil. So here we have seeds falling on rocks, not much soil, very understandable. And there's not soil, so they they grow, but there's no roots. And and what happens? Verse 6, but when the sun had risen, they were scorched. And because they had no root, they withered away. 
And just a plant analogy makes sense. Very simple analogy. A plant appears to grow, be healthy, but it doesn't have deep roots. When the sun comes, it dies. Okay? Then the third one, verse 7, And others fell among thorns, and thorns came up and choked them out. Simple illustration. Sown among thorns. The thorns choked out the, the real plant, right? And then the last illustration, verse 8, And others fell on good soil. The term good, there's two different Greek words for good. This word has the sense of not only good morally, intrinsically, but also good in the sense of how it looks. It's beautiful. It's, it's good. You could see it. You could look at the soil. It's good soil. It's good soil. He says, And others fell on good soil and yielded a crop, some hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. Now, the parable in and of itself is understandable in its illustration, all the way up to the point where we get to the last verse here, verse 8, and yielded a crop of some hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. Typically, a harvest would be eightfold, a good harvest, a tremendous harvest would be eightfold. Usually it's less. And here we have the term hundredfold, sixtyfold, thirtyfold. Wow, what a harvest. Something is much different at this point than just the original illustration that he gives. So Jesus shares the parable to the multitudes that he has just condemned being an evil and adulterous generation. And so notice, uh, as we're going to see, Jesus doesn't explain the parable to the multitudes. He doesn't do that, but only to the disciples, his true children, as we're going to see. Now the disciples are perplexed at this point. They're, they're they're, they're, they're wondering, why is Jesus speaking in parables? Why, why are you doing this? Look at, uh, look at uh, uh, verse 8, or verse 9. Or he who has ears, let him hear. And then look at uh, verse 10. And the disciples came and said to him, Why do you speak to them in parables? So Jesus has already made a point that there's something about hearing. He who has ears, let him hear. And we're going to see that answer in a little bit. The disciple says, why do you speak in parables? Now, if you'll remember, the term disciple means learner. That's what it means. It speaks of one who places himself under the authority of another to be taught and thus learn. Chapter 10, verse 24, Jesus says, a disciple is not above his teacher. And if you are a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ, you have come into a relationship with him through faith and you are placing yourself under his authority to learn from him and to obey him in regards to everything pertaining to life and godliness. Is this not what Jesus said in the, the, uh, what we call the Great Commission? Go, therefore, or actually in your going, as you're going, uh, make disciples of the nations. How so? Baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You don't disciple someone who isn't saved. They need to have that outward affirmation of an inward changed reality through faith in Christ. And then he says, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. Making disciples is taking true believers and teaching them to obey everything Jesus has said. To obey God. That's what true disciples are. And so then we have his disciples here. And there were many disciples before, but we see in John 6, 70 that uh, a lot of them left. And he had personally chosen 12, including one that he knew would be a traitor. And so, at this point, the pool of true disciples that I believe are coming to him are the 11 that are coming to him. 
Then there was 11 true believers and one make-believer, one faker, Judas. And so these are those who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ and they are submitting to him in a real relationship. And do you remember what Jesus said back in the end of chapter 12? Remember what he said? Look at uh, verse 46. While he was still speaking to the multitudes, behold, his mother and his brothers were standing outside seeking to speak to him. And someone said to him, Behold, your mother and your brothers are outside waiting, seeking to speak to you. But he answered the one who was telling him and said, Who is my mother and my, who are my brothers? Verse 49, chapter 12. And stretching out his hand towards his, what? Disciples. He said, Behold, my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father who is in heaven, he is my brother, he is my sister and mother. So then here we have also a, a, a clearly a parallel passage in Luke chapter 8. I won't read it for you, but it says, you know, those who obey the word of God, those are my mother, brother, my sisters. So then these genuine believers, Jesus' disciples, came to him and said, why do you speak in parables? Why do you speak in parables? Why the change? Why are you changing the way you're ministering, Jesus? Why do you not speak clearly anymore? Why in parables? Why in parables? Look at verse 10. And the disciples came and said to him, back in chapter 13, to him, Why do you speak in parables? And he answered and said to them, And notice in this answer there are two groups of people. There are the yous and the theys. Two groups. Okay? The yous are the disciples that are believers. Okay? To you it has been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. But to them, implying the multitudes who have rejected him in context, it has not been granted. For whoever has, to him more shall be given, and whoever and she shall have an abundance. But whoever does not have, even what he has shall be taken away from him. Therefore, I speak to them in parables, because while seeing, they do not see, while hearing, they do not hear, they do not hear, and nor do they understand. He begins to answer with the marvelous reality for true believers. To you, it has been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. To you, to you disciples, those who are truly his, to true believers, it has been granted. Something that has happened in the past and, and continues to this point. It has been granted to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. Well, what is he talking about? Well, first of all, this word to know speaks of knowledge in, in the context of relationship. It's been granted knowledge to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. Well, what are the mysteries? This term mysterion, basically, we think of mystery as something mysterious. Well, that's really not what this means. It means something that was hidden. Something that was hidden. Previously hidden. The things about the kingdom of heaven were hidden. They are now granted for these disciples to know. Well, what does he mean by the term kingdom of heaven? And in Luke, we have it kind of in parallel. Kingdom of God. Kingdom of God. What, do we, what does that mean? Well, back in John, chapter 3, John the Baptist said, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It is at hand. Jesus himself said in Matthew 4, 17, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. 
And you might remember, if you were with us when we went through this, that kingdoms are associated, obviously, with kings. The kingdom is the sphere in which the king reigns. In which the king reigns. And throughout this book, Matthew has made it clear that Jesus is the king. He is the Christ. He is the king of kings and lord of lords. He is the one who reigns over heaven. He is the one who reigns over the hearts of the redeemed. He is the one who will reign over earth. He is the one who will bring forth judgment. And because of our sin, we are separated from the king. We are separated because of our rebellion towards God. And it is only when our sins are forgiven we are placed into the kingdom of God. We enter into the sphere and reign of the king as his willing and grateful subjects. We were delivered out of the domain of darkness and transferred into the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the payment for sins. And he says the forgiveness of sins. Colossians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14. But not only do we enter the sphere of the reign of the king, we enter into a relationship where the hidden things of the king and the kingdom are granted to us to understand, to know. We can now know Christ the king. And we can grow in the grace and knowledge of the king. The hidden things are revealed to us. And back in our passage, he says, To you... It was granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. We know for every true believer, as we see in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, that God has revealed his hidden wisdom to us. He's made it clear by his spirit that we can understand the things freely given to us by God, 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Those things which were previously hidden, but he has revealed. The things that if the rulers of this earth would have known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. It has been granted to those who have a relationship with Christ to know him even more deeply, to know the living God, to know his truths. Look back at Matthew chapter 7. It's interesting, the Lord Jesus is addressing uh, the threats to the entry by the narrow gate, false teachers. He's addressing those, and as he addresses that, he reveals the result of these false teachers People who will say, Lord, Lord, didn't we do all this stuff? But they're still in their sins. They're still in their sins. Matthew chapter 7, verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is heaven. Those who obey God's word because of a changed heart are those who are saved, by the way. That's the example he'll give about the one building a house on the rock versus the sand. He'll give that example in a minute. He says, uh, many will say to me, on that day, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and perform many miracles? Verse 23, and then I will declare to them, I never knew you. I never knew you. Depart from me, you who continually, habitually practice or do lawlessness, and lawlessness is sin. Therefore, everyone who hears the words of mine and acts upon them, and he goes on to share that illustration. It has been granted to true believers to know the mysteries of the kingdom. And they are primarily about the king, by the way, and what the king and his sphere, his reign. Folks, ultimately the hidden truths concerning the kingdom point to Jesus Christ, the king. Colossians chapter 2, we, we know that in him are all the treasures of, of, of uh, all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Actually, turn to Colossians chapter 2. It's about Christ. 
The king was in their midst, sharing his kingdom truths, but now he's veiling them because of their response, as we'll see. Colossians chapter 2, verse 1, For I want you to know how great a struggle I have on your behalf and for those who are at Laodicea and for those who have not personally seen my face, Paul writes them, that their hearts may be encouraged, having been knit together in love and attaining to all the wealth which comes from a full assurance and understanding resulting in the true knowledge of God's mystery, that is, Christ himself, in whom are all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. It's been granted to you to know me, the Lord Jesus is basically saying. And in all that context, the mysteries of the kingdom, and the king is in their midst. What a privilege. If you're a true believer, we have the privilege to know and grow in a relationship with the living God. Tremendous, amazing privilege. So then back to our passage, Matthew chapter 13. He says in verse 11, And he answered and said to them, To you it has been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. And notice the contrast. But to them it has not been granted. It's a serious thing. Them speaks of the multitudes in which he is now speaking in parables and will continue from that point to speak in parables. But to them it has not been granted. God had not granted the multitudes at this point the knowledge of the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, which I believe center around the mystery of of a true relationship with Jesus Christ. But to them it has not been granted. And notice Jesus gives an explanation. Notice by the word for. For in verse 12. For, and here's an explanation, whoever has, to him more shall be given, and he shall have an abundance. But whoever does not have... Even what he has shall be taken away from him. This is the true haves and have-nots, by the way. He's saying in his explanation, whoever has been granted knowledge concerning Christ, obviously in his kingdom, whoever has that, he shall have more and in abundance. And in abundance. These are believers. What a wonderful statement. But then we have another contrast, middle of uh, verse 12. But whoever does not have, even what he has shall be taken away. And this is really interesting, from him. It becomes personal, singular. It should be taken away from him. Jesus makes it personal at this point. But whoever does not have, even what he has shall be taken away from him. Now, what do you say? It doesn't make sense. How can someone not have something and then have something taken away from him, right? Right? Well, I believe in the context, he's speaking of those who've been granted the knowledge of Christ, the gospel, but have not responded. They reject it. What they have is going to be taken away from them. And Jesus is beginning to do that at this point by speaking in parables. Pretty scary thought. There's a window of time in which God allows someone to respond to the truth concerning his son, Jesus Christ. There's a window. It's a small window. If you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. Do not push it away. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Because there may be a day where you can't find him because he will veil himself from you. And we'll talk about this. If you've rejected Christ, there may be a point where he allows you to go to your judgment. And we're going to see that. 
that He will not allow you to hear and understand so that you won't respond and you won't be forgiven. Very serious. Very serious. Look at verse 13. Therefore, I speak to them in parables. Because while seeing, they do not see. And while hearing, they do not hear, nor do they understand. Therefore, he begins to give the first reason. It expands in a minute. I speak to them because they, they see, but they don't see. They hear, but they don't hear, nor do they understand. Therefore, I speak in parables. Jesus had declared judgment upon the cities that did not repent. They had saw his miracles that affirmed the truth that he had shared concerning the kingdom and concerning repentance and faith in him. The things that they had heard and saw. They saw them. They saw the king in their midst. They had heard those things. Look back at chapter 11 of Matthew. Lord Jesus begins to share God's sovereignty over who hears and who doesn't based on their responses. Yes, God is a God who takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked, therefore repent. But there's a point, as we see in this, that if you reject it, there may be no turning back. And we don't know that. We're not judging people's hearts, just sharing what Jesus says. Look at verse 11 of chapter, uh, verse 25 of chapter 11 of Matthew. And at that time, Jesus answered and said, I praise thee, O Father. This is after he shared the condemnation on the cities that did not repent. He says, I praise thee, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that thou didst hide these things from the wise and intelligent, didst reveal them to babes. Yes, for thus is well-pleasing in thy sight. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, nor does anyone know the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son wills to reveal him. God is a gracious God, and the offer of salvation is to all. But there's a point where if you allow your ears to become dull, that he may no longer allow you to hear, that you would go to your judgment. What do I mean by that? Look in our passage back in chapter 13 again, verse 13. Therefore I speak to them in parables, because while seeing they do not see, while hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. And in their case, the multitudes that have rejected Christ, God has been in their midst, declaring to them their sin, repent for the kingdom is at hand, revealing their hypocrisy in front of them, revealing the hypocrisy of the leaders that they had followed religiously. He says, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is being, fulf- is being fulfilled, which says, this is verse 14, you will keep on hearing but will not understand. You will keep on seeing but will not perceive. For the heart, an explanation, for the heart of this people has become dull, and with their ears they scarcely hear And they have closed their eyes, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and return, and I should heal them. He's saying they're fulfilling Isaiah's prophecy. Isaiah shared this concerning the nation of Israel, which had been continually disobedient to God, and God was warning them about his judgment that was coming. They needed to repent, and he shares this prophecy. Turn to Isaiah chapter 6. This is right in the beginning where Isaiah is commissioned. He is a man of unclean lips and the Lord forgives him. And then he, he's willing to go out and, and, and serve the Lord. Isaiah chapter 6 verse 7. And notice the first thing he says in Isaiah's ministry. 
Isaiah 6, verse 7. And he touched my mouth with it, that's the coal, and behold, and said, Behold, this has touched your lips, and your iniquity has been taken away, your sin is forgiven. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Then I said, Here I am, send me. And he said, Go and tell the people. And here's what he's to tell them. Keep on listening, but do not perceive. Keep on looking, but do not understand. Render the hearts of this people insensitive, their ears dull and their eyes dim, lest they see with their eyes, hear with their ears, and understand with their hearts, and return and be healed. Then I said, Lord, how long? And he answered, and said, he answered until the cities are devastated without inhabitant, houses are without people, and the land is utterly desolate. Sometimes there is a ministry of judgment. There is a point where if you reject the truth of God concerning your sin and salvation, the ministry to you is a ministry of judgment. You won't hear. You won't hear. It was the same with Israel, and it's being applied here now to that current generation. Isaiah is not told to share the word of God so that they'd be saved. Now, I'm not saying we don't share the gospel. We don't know hearts. We're not Isaiah. We're not the Lord Jesus. We share the gospel. But we also warn of the dangers of hardening your heart, the dangers of where you might be. This quote from Isaiah is a confirmation they had gone past the point of no return and they were on their way to judgment, as a nation, by the way, at least here. Back in chapter 13, verse 14, in this case, in their case, the, the multitudes who he's now veiling his truth from, why? He's explaining, why are you sharing in prayers? Why are you not sharing clearly anymore, Jesus? In the case of the prophecy of Isaiah is being fulfilled in their case, which says, you will keep on hearing, but will not understand. You will keep on seeing, but will not perceive. Your ears and eyes are working on a physical level, but on a spiritual level, you do not perceive. It's not going to happen on that level when you're on your road to judgment. And notice he explains why. He explains why. The responsibility falls upon the rejecter, not upon the Lord God. God is a gracious God. Verse 15, For the heart of this people has become dull. Stop there. It's a heart issue. It's what you think. Your heart, your mind, same thing. It's what you think. It's your thinking. It's where your mind is at. What do you think about these things? About what God says. The term dull means to be fat or thicken. Speaks of that which is figuratively that which is impervious, insensitive, or hard. Their hearts have become hard. And it's a tense that speaks of a completed action. It's done. They're hard-hearted. Hard-hearted. And what is the cause of a hard heart? What is the cause of that? It's sin. It's sin. It's sin. Turn to Hebrews chapter 3 in the same context of warning those to not harden our hearts. Hebrews chapter 3. You see, there are always those who hang out with the church, the real church, but aren't saved. There are those who will identify with Christ, but are not saved. And God is gracious to warn. You're, you're, you're playing with eternal fire. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 12. Take care, brethren, lest there should be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart in falling away from the living God. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 12. But encourage one another as day after day, as long as it's called today, lest any one of you be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. 
The Lord God in human flesh had come upon his people. A great light had shone into the darkness. A light that enlightens every man. John chapter 1 verse 9. But because they loved their sin, John 3, they allowed their hearts to be hardened to the person of Christ. And when you are hardened to the person of Christ and your true need for salvation, you are on your way to judgment. And we don't know when it will happen, but there will be a point where God will no longer allow you to respond. And that's because of you, not him. He's not hardening you. We'll see you've hardened your own heart. So because they have hardened hearts, God is done with this generation. He's done. There's no point of, point of no return. I'm no longer going to give them truth outwardly. I'm going to speak in parables so that they won't see, won't understand, and they won't be saved. It's a pretty serious thing. We're going to see that. What a tragedy. There's a point when God gives you over because you've rejected him. And if you don't think the responsibility for their judgment falls upon them, look at our passage again. Look at verse 15. For the heart of this people has become dull, and with their ears they scarcely hear, or literally with difficulty hear. And notice what he says. And they have what? Closed their eyes. They have shut their eyes, figuratively speaking. They no longer want to see or hear concerning the truth in regards to their sin and salvation from the God who was in their midst. And God gives them over, removes the truth concerning Christ, those who rejected. The prophecy is fulfilled here. Notice the middle of verse 15. God allows them to be dull. Why? Lest, this is a serious thing, lest they should see with their eyes, hear with their ears, and understand with their heart and return that I should heal them. He allows you to be hardened so that you wouldn't be saved. That's hard to think of. A gracious God who shares his word with you. But there's a point. There's a point. And I said, we don't know that point, but we can look at what God says here. Lest they should return. Lest they should understand. Mark chapter 4, verse 12. Look at this. Or Mark chapter 4, verse 11. Mark makes it clear what he means by return. What it means. If you're wondering what heal them means, he's not speaking about physical healing. He's speaking about spiritual healing, the forgiveness of sins. Look at Mark chapter 4, verse 11, in a parallel statement here. And he was saying to them, To you it has been given the mystery of the kingdom of God, but to those who are outside, get everything in parables, in order that while seeing they may not see and not perceive, and while hearing they may not hear and not understand, lest... They return and be what? Forgiven. This is hard to swallow because we want everyone to be saved and so does God. But yet God had been in their midst for three years and they had rejected it. They had rejected it over time. God was graciously convicting them. The light shone in the darkness and they rejected it. So God is allowing them to go to their judgment. It is not God's fault that anyone leaves this life unforgiven. The responsibility falls upon the one who has rejected the truth concerning Christ, who has hardened their heart. Jesus Christ graciously came upon these Jews. He patiently revealed truth concerning him, his personhood, his deity, and their sinfulness and their need for a Savior. 
They were called upon to repent, and they rejected. They rejected. And if you reject Christ, you may say, I believe Christ, but if you reject salvation that is in Jesus Christ, there is a point like these multitudes where God will reject you, and you will no longer have the opportunity to respond. Now, again, I don't know when that is. But if you haven't been saved, this ought to cause you to shudder. It ought to cause you to shudder. Why was the Lord speaking in parables? Because the Jews had so much truth and they had rejected it and they had repented. They had him in their midst. And guess what? We have so much more. We have the completed revelation concerning Christ. We have so much more truth. Paul shares this reality in the end of the book of Acts. Turn to the, turn to the 28th chapter of the book of Acts concerning how God rejected temporarily the Jews to go to the Gentiles. By the way, it's a temporary rejection. At least for that genera- the generation would go into their judgment. Acts 28, verse 23. And when they had set a day for them, for him, they came to him, speaking of Paul, at his lodging, lodging in large numbers, and he was explaining, that's Apostle Paul, them, and solemnly testifying about what? The kingdom of God. And trying to persuade them concerning Jesus. From both the law of Moses and from the prophets. From morning until evening. And some were being persuaded by the things things spoken. But others would what? Not believe. And when they did not agree with one another, they began leaving after Paul had spoken one parting word. Look at his parting word. The Holy Spirit rightly spoke through Isaiah the prophet to your fathers saying... Go to this people and say, you will keep on hearing, but will not understand. And you will keep on seeing, but will not perceive. For the heart of this people has become dull. And with their eyes, they scarcely hear. And they have closed their eyes, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and return that I should heal them. Paul says this to those that reject the gospel. Let it be known to you, therefore, that salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will also listen. God shares his word with perfect discernment. He doesn't cast his wonderful pearls before swine. There's a point where he will hold back. There's a point where he will not allow you to understand anymore based on your own dullness and hardness of heart. Some might say, well, that was what's going on in the time of Jesus, but it's not happening now. We'll turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians 4. And we see we have more insight into those of us whom the end of the ages has come. We have more insight into what God allows to happen when you reject and don't believe. He allows things to happen. Second Corinthians chapter four, verse three. Uh, the implication here is is that the Corinthians who had been kind of slamming Paul. They'd been saying he's foolish, this and that. He's not very impressive in person. They, they had been taken by false teachers and sucked into that, chapter 2 Corinthians 11. And Paul is kind of responding to one of their accusations probably that, hey, Paul's not saving many people. And notice how he responds in chapter two, verse, chapter, 2 Corinthians 4, verse 3. And if our gospel is veiled, hey, if it's veiled and people aren't responding, guess what? It is veiled to those who are perishing. That means going to your eternal judgment. 
He says, in whose case, that's the case of those going to their judgment, the God of this world, that's Satan, by the way, has blinded the minds of what? The unbelieving that they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is in the image of God. If you reject Christ, you don't believe, God will allow Satan to blind your mind. We're going to see in the parable of the sower, though, the word being taken away. It's a very serious thing. If you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts. I, I beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. You're in a terrible state. You need salvation in Christ. You're sinful, your thoughts, your actions, your deeds. God is a righteous judge. And he sent Jesus in your place and he died for you. Paul would say that God is now declaring all men that all men everywhere should repent. For he has fixed a day which he will judge the world in righteousness through a man, Christ Jesus, having furnished proof, raising him from the dead. What will you do, friend, before it's too late? Well, at this point, we have a blessed contrast for those who have responded to the glorious truth concerning Christ. Look back in chapter 13, verse 16. But blessed are your eyes because they see and your ears because they hear. Blessed are your eyes because you see in your ears. You see in the context, me in front of you, I'm God in human flesh. You hear the truth. You're blessed. If you're a true believer, we are blessed because we can hear the truth of God and be in a right relationship with him. Blessed are your eyes because they see and your ears because they hear. For truly I say to you that many prophets and righteous men desire to see what you see. They wanted to see the Son of God in human flesh. They desired to know when the Christ would be. What was indicating the, the sufferings and the glories to follow. And they didn't see it. They didn't see it. And to hear what you hear and didn't hear. They didn't hear the word of God from the Son of God, the truth. Those truths that Jesus had revealed. So there's a pronouncement of blessedness. These are those who do the will of his Father who are in heaven, his disciples. Blessed are your eyes because they see and your ears because you hear. If you've come to faith in Jesus Christ, we are blessed because we can hear and understand the truth concerning God by his Spirit. We are blessed. We are blessed. And notice he gives another explanation, verse, uh, the end, middle of verse 16. For truly I say to you that many prophets and righteous men desire to see what you see and did not see it and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. Obviously the prophets are those who spoke for God. These are two terms to speak of the righteous in the Old Testament. The prophets who spoke for God, righteous men, those are people who walked in the righteousness of God, obviously, and is exhibited in their lives because of faith. You are so blessed. You are so blessed. They wanted and desired it, but they didn't get it. And you got it. And you got it. Look at 1 Peter chapter 1. We are blessed also. We have the full, completed word of God, brothers and sisters. We are so blessed. We are so blessed. We can grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, who died for our sins. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 10, And to this salvation... 
the prophets who prophesied of the grace that would come to you, God's grace, the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men. Jesus Christ came, his grace manifest in dying for us. We don't deserve it. Made careful search and inquiry, seeking to know what person or time the Spirit of Christ within them, Old Testament, by the way, within them was indicating as he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories to follow. And it was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you in these things which now have been announced to you through those who preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. Amazing things that we have now clearly declared to us how blessed those disciples were because their ears and their eyes spiritually were able to perceive to see and hear how blessed we are and i believe we're more blessed than even those in that day that had jesus in their midst we are more blessed we have even more truth concerning him do you consider yourself blessed as a believer we are so blessed We were blind. We couldn't see. I once was blind, right? I couldn't see the reality of my sinfulness. I couldn't see the reality of the judgment that was due me. I couldn't understand the truth of the gospel. But God convicted me. And by his grace, I was saved. And when God convicts you and you reject that, there's a time where he will not allow you to hear or see anymore. It's a very serious thing. So then why did Jesus speak in parables? To conceal the truth concerning himself from those who had rejected him and to reveal to those who were responsive his kingdom truths. And we'll see the explanation next week of these kingdom truths that believers were privy to know and understand. We have seen encouragement for the receptive and a warning for the rejectors. Where are you today? You're either one who rejects the truth or one who responds to it. There's no in between. There's no in between. Either you will be saved by Jesus or you'll stumble over him to your eternal punishment. It's eternally dangerous to hear the truth and to reject it. I exhort you, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. If you're thirsty for the forgiveness of sins, if you recognize your need for a Savior, turn to Christ. God loves you so much, he gave his only begotten son. He came and lived the perfect life, and he died for your sins, paid the full penalty that God requires. He died and rose from the dead, and if you go to him, you call out for the Lord Jesus for the forgiveness of sins, he'll save you. But if your heart is hard, Ask God to soften it. Don't let me, Lord God, miss your salvation. I want to finish with Isaiah 55. Let's turn there. Isaiah 55. Ho, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come, buy, and eat. Come, buy wine, milk without money and without cost. Why do you spend money for what is not bread and your wages for what does not satisfy? Listen carefully to me and eat what is good. Delight yourself in abundance and incline your ear and come to me and listen. 
that you may live, that you may live. And I will make an everlasting covenant with you according to the faithful mercies shown to David. Verse 6. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Are your thoughts sinful? If you don't know Christ, they are. Turn from those thoughts for forgiveness. And let him return to the Lord and he will have compassion on him and and to our God and he will abundantly pardon. Abundantly pardon. God takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that you would repent and live. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for your word and it is very sobering to see uh, through your son uh, this change in the revelation he was bringing to the people who had rejected him. Lord, I pray for anyone here who has clearly been convicted of the truth concerning their sin and has not responded in repentance and faith. Lord, I pray that they would be convicted, that their hard hearts would be broken forth, that you would pierce it, that they might turn and believe in your son Jesus. And Father, for those of us who you have saved through Christ, thank you so much that we are so blessed. We now can see and understand the truths of the King, your Son Jesus, and his kingdom. May we grow in the grace and knowledge of your Son. May we be thankful and praise you for what he's done. Pray this in his name.